could boredom be the key to you unlocking the next phase of your career? Go! Welcome to Fuse, the global podcast from the PRCA. On each episode, we explore the evolving landscape of global communications. We bring together leaders from public relations, politics, business, academia, and media to spark new ideas and ignite innovation. Welcome to our end of year episode. My name is Dan Gold, and today's guest is a geneticist turned corporate lawyer, serial entrepreneur, and angel investor. But before we dive into our chat with Shrim Madipali, this is a perfect time to give thanks to you for choosing to listen to episodes of Fuse through 2023. I promise you, we've got some amazing guests and topics coming in the new year. I would also like to thank our co-producers for coming on board this year, the team from Curzon PR. And last but not least, thank you to the team at PRCA for your support. It is my absolute delight to introduce Shrin Madipali. Welcome to Fuse. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We, just to explain to people who have just flicked on to this podcast, we've been having the most wide-ranging and most interesting conversation about everything from AI to accessibility and life. We had our podcast before the podcast. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you should have heard that. It was great. Um, but we will try and encapsulate this into this episode. So, um, Shrin, just for uh, context and background, give us the 30-second elevator pitch about you and who you are and what's your journey been? So uh, my name is, is, is Shrin. Um, I am a serial founder, for want of a better buzzword. Um, I previously started a business in the travel space that was acquired by Airbnb. Um, worked at Airbnb for a number of years post-acquisition. Um, I then left Airbnb to start a new venture in the AI space before, uh, before it all got popularized last year. And effectively, we are a venture studio uh, where we both build our own AI products, but we also help large organizations um, use AI internally. So that kind of makes up 99% of my job. And then as a bit of a, a side hustle, uh, for want of a better phrase, I, I do a, a fair amount of angel investing and advising other startups. Today, we're going to look more at the application side, if we look at this, how AI can be applied, how it's been applied to other industries, other sectors, and the lessons that we could learn. And importantly to me, I'm interested in how you personally got into AI. And I think that is the bit where I'd really like to start because your background isn't programming or technology. Yeah, it's a, a quite a, a quirky background. Um, so I actually started off an un, as an undergrad doing genetics and biochemistry, thinking that I would work in labs. Um, as much as I enjoyed science, like I didn't actually enjoy working in labs. And I thought that I was going to be sort of, you know, still using my knowledge and, and in science in a legal context. So I retrained as a solicitor. But then I um, realized I didn't really enjoy IP law. Uh, and ended up being a mergers and acquisitions guy for a number of years. Uh, did that for a num- did that for four years and got to the point where I realized I did not want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, and I'd already started doing a bunch of like side hustles and side projects around building things and you know the tech 
I mean, the tech revolution had started, but, you know, around sort of 2012, things were really taking into full swing. And, you know, people were building amazing things with software. And I sort of had my, 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 my FOMO of all of that and sort of wanted to be able to build things. So essentially kind of retrained as a, as a, as a, as a coder. So done lots of videos online, lots of friends taught me, um, and effectively got to the point of being like a self-taught freelance web developer. And so sort of my world into tech just came through multiple zigzags without any real sense of direction. Do you have that sense or is there something in your personality where you're a bit like a sponge. You pick up these little nuggets of information and then you'll go, oh, I want to dig into that. And that really deeply interests me. And it's like, okay, I've got a bit of this interest, but now this over here also interests me. And it, it's like that constant learning journey, that constant adding to the skill set, not for necessarily a purpose for an outcome, but because you're just deeply interested and it just ends up with me going sometimes down massive rabbit holes where I'm way too far in before I know it. So yeah, something will pick my interest and rather like without consciously doing it, I will just chase it down a hole. And sometimes I will just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. And then I'm so far into it. It's like, actually, do you know what? Let's just double down on it. And I think that has happened to me multiple times in my career and it's happening to me at the moment. Like, AI was just something I was curious about three, four years ago. I was doing bits of it. Um, we we're exploring a few projects towards the end of my time at Airbnb. I had, because I was living out in the Bay Area when I worked in at Airbnb, you know, it was something that lots of very smart people worked in. And so it just became something you kind of, you know, get interested in and then, and then burrow down the hole. I've got that thing about being surrounded by brilliant people, not just to use them as a resource of information, but just as much as being an inspiration. See, while they're taking this bit of technology or this idea or they've got this problem, and this is the journey that they've gone on. And I have always found that inspiring. And it's like, not what can I do with it, but maybe I can just put that into the brain and just use that as an ethos for going, okay, well, this is a way to move forwards. This is a, this is a problem solver's world. Yeah, and it's something that I love, and I find that more motivating. I think the, the standard linear career of, of doing one thing and then extrapolating that for the next 30, 40 years within the same domain, like, it's just never interested me. Like, well, you know, if we're chatting again in 10 years' time, like, I don't know, uh, who knows what I'll be doing. And, and I actually quite enjoy that, enjoy that, enjoy that sensation that actually I have no clue what I'll be doing in 10 years. Studying to be um, to do anything in law is not the easiest thing. Studying to um, you know work your way through the principles behind AI, along with developing and coding and that tech space, two very different things. They both require discipline, though. Is there something within you which has that focus, which goes, um, "I can't let this go yet, and I want to get that little bit deeper." No, I think it's persistent boredom. It's the, the boredom of whatever <laughs> came previously that sort of acts as the fuel of propulsion of whatever one learns going forward. Yeah, no, that that's uh, that's the thing. I hate silence, and it it doesn't necessarily be need to be the noise in a room. It could be my my brain. If there's silence, it's like I have this need to move forwards. That need to learn. That need to uh, be curious. Have that scratch itched. 
Exactly. And with whatever sort of new thing I've sort of ventured into, there's always been a core thing that has brought me into it. Because think, oh, there's a problem. Let me see if I can cobble something together. And then that has then taken to the next step, then the next step, and then the next step. And so actually, rather than it sort of being the discipline to keep going, it's more just making sure that you have lots of small wins in whatever you do that's new to kind of keep you sort of motivated to carry on. So when it comes to the AI, uh, and we'll talk you know, globally about AI in terms of the opportunity that it brings. When you first looked at it and you went, wow, it could be dot. What was the dot that scratched the itch for you? So in 2019, I'd been seeing a bunch of things online about some of these capabilities. And as mentioned, there was various folks at Airbnb working on interesting things in this domain. But the real kind of the penny drop moment happened in, in, the, in, in 2020 when OpenAI first released GPT-3. So this was kind of the, the oh my goodness moment where it was like, what on earth is this doing? This is just unreal. And it was that feeling that we are at the start of something very transformational, albeit GPT-3 in the summer of 2020 was, you know, felt like generations behind on what they're releasing now. But this felt like an area where, okay, I need to know more about it. I want to be able to build things on top of this. And I feel that there are tons, there are going to be so many interesting problems that that could be solved. Like, I think the moment I had was probably similar to the way I hear people describing when they first came across the internet in the late 90s. It's like, you know, whoa, this is something that could completely change everything. And so that for me, like, it had been building up for a while, but that penny drop moment happened in, 20, in the summer of 2020. But we also helped that we were all locked up sitting at home with nothing else to do all day. Um, and so, yeah, when you just hear, you see these things drop online and you see their initial capabilities, it was like, all right, we've got to do something in here. So when it comes to trusted resources about AI and trusted information, we have some challenges. There are people who are you know, absolutely against it. It's going to be the ruination of the world. It's going to be toxic. And then you've got that next section where there's, we've got to regulate it, but let's see where it goes. Then we've got that potentially wild west space to the far other side. And then another space between those two, which is the creative investigation of, well, let's see where we could go, but let's have a line. Where on that spectrum would you say you are? And where did you find the trusted resources for that? Um, so in terms of trusted resources, I think just because like I've worked in tech for a while, you kind of know which organizations are doing interesting things. You follow them on, on, on Twitter or X, as we now call it. Um, and you kind of you know, I guess you are just in those 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 information loops of, of of people in the know and people that you take a high trust signal from as knowing what they are doing. So that generally is you know is my information feed of like okay this is serious or not. But in terms of the spectrum, I probably my natural instinct is to be more on the the creative sort of let's see where this kind of goes type of side. Um, is it going to be disruptive? Of course it is. I think any 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 technological paradigm shift is, is going to turn things on their head. But I think it doesn't have to be for the bad. I think it's going to be a mix, right? Like with any new technology, if we take like the internet as, a, as an example, like there are lots of amazing things on the internet. You know, you and I are having this conversation on different sides of the world. And we've probably 
become better people hopefully and learn more things because of the internet but then equally like people do horrible vile things on it and, and i think you're going to have that same sort of dichotomy in, in an ai world some people will use it hopefully most people will use it to do wonderful things that make the world a better place but inevitably yet yeah, there are going to be bad actors but i see that less as a technology thing that's just unfortunately like i think more something a reflection on the human condition yeah it's just another platform for humans to either be good or at the other end yeah it's just what has always happened except that it will be done in different ways and i think those different ways of behaving well or behaving bad will will will, will be unsettling but I think you know humanity has has coped with unsettling transformational changes before. Like I believe we will cope with this one and find a new reality, or at least a new reality till something new gets made or created or developed. All you have to do is go into history and look at how there was initially resistance to, um, you know, railways and trains, and there was resistance to, you know, uh, other technologies that emerged that disrupted and it's the often the fear around disruption yeah um, you know a lot of vested interests are going to get uprooted right and, and i think and i get it like it's a highly if you've got a vested interest in the status quo i it's it's a very natural reaction to want to hold on to it from your perspective and what you've observed and how AI can be applied. If we talk in the PR marketing creative space, we've seen from ChatGPT coming on and then other platforms where, you know, you can describe what you want an image to look like and then da-da, it's in front of you. And then you can modify with requests to then really fine tune to what you want to get. And then Adobe with their integration of AI into their generative space has really made a change there and it's made a change in the sense that people without those advanced skills now have more access to do more advanced things so it's removed a barrier from your perspective when we look at pr marketing creative are we looking at an area where there is opportunity to be in effectively more inclusive so we don't need such deep specialisms in something and more generalists will have access to be able to achieve more really interesting so i kind of think you may need a bit of both so if i was sort of to chart what we've seen in the ai space in marketing and pr the last two three years so when we first started uh when we first started the company a lot of our work was in pure e-commerce marketing where you had a real estate company or a, an e-commerce firm wanting to create like descriptions for a website and wanting to do it at scale and you know the ai can kind of take you 80 to 90 percent there and then a copywriter just finesses it but that has now evolved more you know that in a way in in only like you know one to two years a lot of that has become commoditized and then we've moved more i think into the slightly more sophisticated things where you know um we've seen clients especially in, in, in maybe the more publishing side of media having really vast content libraries and wanting to use ai to kind of discover what they know more efficiently and so we've done a lot of chatbots or custom chatbots to help people discover what they know internally but probably our, our biggest project the last three four months as a direct kind of ramification in the pr world has been on, as, as, on the on the news monitoring and news evaluation side so we've had clients 
that for whatever reason, need to monitor thousands of publications, thousands of different types of news stories, and have lots of complicated criteria as to what's relevant news. And it's been using not just one AI, but a chain, a series of different AI tools to help A, discover the news they want, B, vet out the unnecessary stuff, and C, generate really nice summaries of, of what they want to then share onward. So we've gone from, you know, three years ago, just simple, like, write me a paragraph about these new pair of trainers to really sophisticated workflow tooling where you're discovering, vetting, analyzing, summarizing, and then generating some kind of new report. And I think that transformation in two years has been has been phenomenal. It's really interesting to me because if you look at our area or our sector, and then you talk to people in the legal profession, the people in the uh, in financial institutions who have been on this path of investigation and applying these tools, whether it's in partnership or collaboration with startups, or they've been doing this in house you've really seen this piece of analysis dramatically changing in such a short period of time to then give these these outcomes, these reports um, to people to, to make really, really informed decisions, um, thus saving time and ultimately for for organizations making this information accessible in a in a fashion that's more economic and you know as i said the time the time factor as as we go on will simply as my understanding get quicker and quicker and the quality of the tools to filter to ensure that we're getting to the right results are even improving daily yeah, completely. And I think, you know, we are at the beginning of, a, of an exponentially improving curve. And again, like the things that we can do now, I just never thought possible two, three years ago, or, or never thought possible so quickly. So where this lands in the next three to five years, goodness knows. I just want to go off on a tangent, if I may. Tangent away. <laughs> You're someone who takes um, different pathways. On my LinkedIn profile, it says that I'm professionally curious. I see that in you as well. But what is there out there to, in in terms of people who have inspired you? You're clearly someone who looks at, at challenges and opportunities, but who, uh, in terms of an individual or a group of people, inspire you on your journey? Oh, gosh, you know, there's too many to count. But I think I can give you a long list of people every day. Um, you know, I think there's just so many people doing really incredible things out there that just you see what they build and you think, whoa, like this is amazing. I mean, you know, my previous employer, right? Like seeing what was built at this, you know, to think that this was just, you know, something started out of someone's uh, front living room 12 years ago, however, you know, late. 2008 and then built into an entity like what it is today like that is inspiring and i i i find rather than individuals or rather than specific kind of companies i like to try and find that curiosity and inspiration in like lots and lots of little things and again i kind of make it feels more manageable and feels less something out of reach i think if you sort of pedestalize just a handful of things it makes it feel like something beyond reach or something that you are not worthy of ever achieving. Whereas if you find that inspiration in like lots of little things, I feel like it just acts as more fuel for the day. And that's something that will should 
hopefully inspire everyone because when people do, I mean, none of my books, here's, here's an absolute fact. None of my books put anyone on a pedestal. They're about um, studying a, a movement or looking at achievements that were done collectively. And it, it was never something done on purpose, but it was, it was that demonstration of how collectively um, people can move forwards and people together can make things better for more people, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and I think when you sort of get the, the, the inspiration from lots and lots and lots of people, I think you also then see that, like, actually, you know, that old saying, like, you know, never never speak to your heroes, right? In the sense that, like, actually because people are flawed and actually whatever good things people do, there probably are some not so good things to them. And, you know, it's human nature. And I find... Like finding lots of little things in lots of people also means that I think maybe more accepting that, you know, nobody's perfect. And actually, you know, it isn't, we aren't opening ourselves up for disappointment. If we find that that one kind of one single source of inspiration may not be the person that we want them to be. With the opportunity that AI gives us to scale really quickly, if an organization came under attack, what are the protections that you see that other platforms need or have to ensure that, you know, that negative messaging that someone may have maliciously generated will be filtered out? Because at the moment, it seems like unless it's a massive attack where it suddenly gets to that denial of service level and things lock down, if it was drip, 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 I don't know how, and this is where I'm leaning in on your knowledge, how would an organization potentially protect themselves from those um, negative sentiments? So I think the, 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 the honest answer I think is going to be very difficult in the, in the foreseeable future. And I think the best example is probably going to be next year, 2024. We have probably two very major elections happening. Uh, disinformation is going to be rife. So I know your question was about companies, but ultimately, I think that is probably going to be the accelerant of, of a lot of this. Yeah, that is probably the, the downside of, of the new AI world, right? Like there will be a lot more disinformation. I think a lot more kind of, uh, if the cost of disseminating something nefarious is reduced to something absolutely zilch, then yeah, like it, it, it's clearly the, 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 there are going to be bad actors that are going to be exploiting this. My hunches, my, my, my unqualified hunch is that I think actually humans do have really good intuition. I think we probably actually might get, we might actually become more distrustful of the internet in a slightly healthy way. Um, and actually we may revert to other sources of, of, of trust because if just the internet or like media is just so much full of noise, you don't know what's real or not. When you have all of that complexity and all of that uncertainty as to what's real, one hypothesis I have is that people may actually look to certain trusted institutions again in all of that noise. And actually, that may not be a, may, that may not be a bad thing. And so I think actually, like from an organization, if you are a company that has an agency or, or you're doing your own PR or you're, built, you're controlling your own narrative, it probably becomes even more important that an organization has to have a voice. It has to make sure it's out there. Um, it has probably got to be very proactive to fill any voids or respond to any kind of things that are just plain wrong. But that actually, if they do this correctly and they do build an authentic voice, 
that actually people will trust them and okay this is this is what is really happening not what you know joe blogs 1746.8 you know whatever on twitter has just tweeted something do you think that um we all know that media literacy is important so that we can critically question what is the material in front of us and the most important question why is it in front of us in this form do you think that at the moment and i don't know what snopes or other organizations use in terms of tooling but do you think that we'll see any an evolution of ai tools to battle malicious AI tools are we are we getting to skynet <laughs> i mean whether it's skynet but i i can definitely see i mean again if we take the, an early analogy of the internet a fraudster uses the internet to steal card details but then someone equally uses the internet to build antivirus software and or other kind of defense tools against those things so i think yeah to take your previous question further organizations yes building their own trusted voices and being better at responding to a world where they may have to kind of answer the ridiculous is one thing but as you said secondly you probably are going to be better ish tools out there that can you know maybe flag that look this might be kind of synthetically generated or this has got some kind of element of automation behind it the reason i sort of hesitate in jumping to that conclusion initially is that a lot of these AIs are based upon human content. Like mm -hmm. they sound real because they've been trained on things that are real. And at the moment, I, I don't know as to what, I, I would need to be, I would need to see the proof in the pudding of an AI tool that can genuinely like, you know, identify reliably that something is AI generated. And again, to, to tangent the tangent here, um, a, side, a side role I have is uh, as an adjunct professor at Manchester Business School, where I, 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 I help teach uh, one of the classes on venture capital and private equity. And yeah, like some of my colleagues are thinking about this, right? Like, how do we know if a student has, has written a report on ChatGPT? And like, again, some people will think, oh, I'll just put it through this tool and it will tell me this. But I'm, I'm, I'm not as convinced as to whether what's out there can actually weed out and identify whether something is AI generated because the AI generated content by its very design is there to sound human. Well, let's face it, if it's going to be one of these things where it's machines versus machines and one trying to outdo the other one, Michael Bay will guaranteed make a film of it. Totally. But uh, that, that, in a way, like, you could, if you take that line of thinking further, if it's machine versus machine, like the natural end point is that they sort of cancel each other out. And do you sort of have like a, a go back to first principles where, you know, actually trust we, we we struggle to find information trust in sort of you know online platforms and actually we only really trust what's in front of our eyes or with the people that we directly know it's i don't know these it, so many different ways this could all take and one of the most bizarre moments and i i i rarely cite politicians and i i rarely cite donald trump in anything but that moment when he said Maybe we should just pick up the phone and use paper and pen. I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there's a thing. But um, yeah, I exactly. And you just <laughs> never know where this is all going. But what I do feel is that all these things, in a way, the best way for technology to be used for good is if people are building good things on it, right? Like yeah. actually, like the bad actors become the minority because actually, a lot of people have adopted it to do good things. Yeah, and and 
as a as a human race, we have to be working from the principle that the majority of people are trying to do good things are and are not bad actors trying to take advantage of other people. They may do it in different ways, but but I think the bad actors are more likely to kind of adopt it, a platform if they see if they see no one else is adopting it. And so I think, you know, in, in a way... Don't leave a void. Know, That's the key to don't this. Don't leave a void. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm certainly saying that from a biased viewpoint as someone that builds things in this domain. But I think that's why we built the company, right? Like if people are building good products in this domain, I think that ends up squeezing out the bad. Yeah. No, I think that's not only a good solid principle, but a way to move forwards. I'd like to ask you a slightly different question. We often speak to um, people who are starting agencies or who have um, gone into their agency and they've followed a relatively traditional model, but what they've done is they've gone for a niche, a specific sector, and they've gone and done that sector incredibly well. Do you think that there is more opportunity uh, on the horizon for this integration of people with tech backgrounds being a core part of the establishment of a Marcoms agency, let's say, to bring those tools closer rather than an agency go, well, you know, I'm going to go and buy this off the shelf thing, but actually look at this differently in a disruptive way to integrate their own capabilities. And for whatever reason, it seems to be slower, I think, in the PR world and the comms world. I think that's happened maybe more on the sort of the the top line, big agency marketing side, but less so, I think, on the PR side. And and honestly, I don't know why that is the case. I think the people I've spoken into this domain have traditionally just waited for products to come on a shelf and they just buy something that works for them. And traditionally, there hasn't been much of a culture of like co-developing or or commissioning the build out of something that solves an internal problem. But I think those that want to get ahead, I think this is now the opportunity, right? If you are an agency that has got a bit of budget or whatever, and you are hiring some engineers, like actually, I think because so few do it now, you really have got the opportunity to build tooling and capabilities that like work for you beautifully rather than waiting for something off the shelf that maybe kind of works for you. Shrin, time is working against us, sadly, but before we depart, before we leave today, um, I'm just intrigued. What do you use as or as your trusted sources for news? Where do you gather information? Are there like your number one, two podcasts which you cannot miss? So in terms of news, I think it's changed a lot in recent years. I probably am, so distrustful is the wrong word, but I probably don't trust as much the big news outlets being at the forefront of what's going on in the world. So like, you know, again, if you take sort of the AI example, your big mainstream publications only really cottoned onto this in the last year or so, whereas those in the know probably have been kind of, you know, like trumpeting a lot of this stuff for the last few years. And so what I find actually are just better sources of information. Now I have just lots and lots of curated lists on Twitter for different subject matters, whether it be tech, culture, politics, uh, you name it. I've just got lots and lots of like curated Twitter lists from other people that I, I, I trust or the opinions I respect. And I find that kind of distributed news input 
from lots of sources, both stuff I disagree with and stuff I agree with, has actually been, I think, a better insight into the way the world is going than maybe kind of reading like maybe the the, the, the kind of the age-old publications that have the reputations that they do. And in terms of podcasts? Podcasts, clearly yours. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, Thank uh, you. That, Great that's answer. Um, again, it's you know, another one I have enjoyed over the, the last the last couple of years, and it is a slightly some people absolutely loathe it in tech, some people love it, but I do really enjoy the All In podcast. Um, I don't know if you come across it, but I do find it very entertaining. Um, and yeah, it's probably one of the ones that I that my my, my favorite Saturday listen to at the moment. Shrim Madipali, thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Fuse. I would like to invite people to find out more about you and your organization. How could they do that? Uh, well, they could uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Just put Shrim Madipali on LinkedIn. Um, our company is called People and Robots. So, you know, you just look up People and Robots and uh, you'll see uh, our, our shop front for the people and the robots. Shrim Madipali, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Fuse. Please give this episode a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can really help us reach new listeners by sharing episodes with your colleagues and friends. Episodes have touched on everything from artificial intelligence how to meaningfully measure impact, breaking down barriers in a male-dominated world, and how the agency model could be improved.